Hi, this is Fraser Hines, uh, Jamie McCrimmon from Doctor Who, and you're listening to Nerdology. Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to Nerdology. Um, very quickly, before we get started, just want to say a big thank you to Jeff for leaving some feedback on iTunes. Very much appreciated. If anyone else thinks the show is anywhere near half decent, if you want to put some nice words up there, that would be great. Uh, if you want to get back in touch with the show, there's loads of ways to do it. We're on Facebook. If you just type in Nerdology UK, you'll find us there. We're also on Twitter, which is at Nerdology UK. And if you prefer to email, we've got the email address, which is nerdologyuk at gmail.com. So that's all that out of the way, and I'm really pleased to be joined today by a very special guest, someone I've known for quite a few years. His name is Bill Linus. Hi, Bill. Hi, Mark. How you doing? Very well, thank you. Good. Now, we're here today to talk about the Avengers. And where do we start? <laughs> well, who's your favourite Avenger? Is it Iron Man or <laughs> Thor? Or... Well, I just... Love the fact that there is a certain blockbuster Hollywood movie that had to change its name mm. because of a, a superb 1960s TV series called The Avengers. So oh, I hang on a minute. Sorry, we're at cross-purposes here. I thought we were going to be talking about the superhero movie. No, we're talking about something that involves lots of more interesting things, like um, Kinky Boots, for example. <laughs> TV show, British TV show, and it's a kind of a weird start for the whole series. It kind of, when you think of the Avengers, for me at least, I tend to think of Patrick McNee and usually a sidekick, a female sidekick. And when I started watching the very early series, I got the first series on DVD, and it's completely different from what you'd expect. They kind of used it as a vehicle for a, an actor called Ian Hendry, who'd been in a, a series called Police Surgeon. Um, and they felt that was quite a successful formula. It was devised by Sidney Newman, who'd come up with Doctor Who. And uh, they felt that was quite a successful format, but they had real problems with the whole police surgeon thing because they'd agreed a deal with someone who was advising them on the plots and on the stories, which made it really not very feasible to carry on because the cost was ridiculous. So they rather cleverly decided to bring out a new show which practically copied the format entirely with the same lead actor 
um, but just gave him a different name. Uh, so this time he's a GP rather than being a um, police surgeon. And uh, he kind of ends up being thrown through circumstance into this situation where he's teamed up with this character called John Steed, who works for this kind of shady organisation. You don't really know who they are. It's obviously, you assume it's some sort of government organisation, but that's all you really know. But it's quite a different show, isn't it? Have you seen it many of them? was, those? no, there's only very few episodes left of the original Avengers series where within Hendry. I believe it, it was something to do with Ian Hendry's fiance being killed. That's right. And they were going to say, supposedly, avenge her death. Mm. Although I think Sidney Newman, although he said it was called The Avengers, he was never quite sure what they're avenging. And in a way, <laughs> the title of The Avengers was almost irrelevant. Um, Patrick Mooney back then was the sidekick. Yeah. But from the few episodes that I've seen, which are only a couple available, mm. um, it just seemed to be a fairly run-of-the-mill 60s series. Not a yeah. bad series, but no. not a great series, something watchable. Um, and it wasn't really until... Honor Blackman came into it mm. and they started changing the format of it slightly uh, that the series really started taking off. Yeah, because it's you tend to think of the Avengers as quite a sort of out there, witty, kind of uh, fun romp. Mm. Um, but certainly the early series is very kind of straight-laced, it's right down the line, just a kind of pretty bog-standard detective series really isn't it it was they would just go and solve a problem they would get sent along to do something they'd solve it and that was the end and the seriousness of it i mean even uh back in the early 60s you'd see um actors like john the missouri mm. who later on you expect to see things like dad's army yeah. and for comedy and just playing a very straightforward you know ordinary role mm-hmm. you know and and not not much tongue-in-cheek i think if he would have been in some of the later episodes, mm. where there are plenty of different guest stars, there there was a lot more, much more human yeah. fantasy based. Well, I think it started to shift after the first series because Ian Hendry, the guy they kind of decided to base the whole show around, decided that he didn't want to make any more series of the Avengers. So they then promoted Patrick McNee to being the kind of the lead actor. Um, and for the the second series, they kind of. I get the impression they weren't entirely sure where they were going with it and they kind of mixed between different um, sidekicks. So you mentioned Nonna Blackman, she comes in as Kathy Gale. Um, and then you, it's almost, it feels to me almost like it's, they're kind of auditioning to see who's going to be the regular sidekick because they've got this other, um, another doctor, the character's called Martin King. Um, he's in it for a couple of episodes. You've got Kathy Gale by Honor Blackman in it for a couple of episodes. And there's also um, a club singer called Venus Smith. It's almost like they weren't sure which direction it was seeing. Yeah. How would the public respond yeah. to each character? Yeah. And if we had the good response, mm-hmm. then they would go for it. Yeah. So, well, if you're going to run with that idea, then it looks like Honor Blackman pretty much nailed it <laughs> because she's in it for... I think another couple of series after that is that right yeah she went on for a few years yeah, yeah so i think i she... think the choice between you know some an ordinary man talking to john steed or on a black man dressed in leather yeah I think she got the vote <laughs> bit of a no really <laughs> yeah but she, i think um when you bear in mind when she came into that program it would have been i think about 1962 hmm. um i don't think there was really that many 
really sort of meaty roles for female it tend to be very male dominated there would be female characters in all series in the 60s but they tended to be sidekicks or perhaps somebody who needed rescuing exactly. would get captured and the hero would come along and save them in whichever way they would save them. Very. So this was unusual to have a, a, a female lead who was as strong as the male lead. I mean, the fact she's easy on the eye is obviously a great benefit to a lot of the viewers, but you know, she's obviously comes across as a very intelligent person and also, to use a phrase, she kicks ass. Mm. They mean, did, well, she, well, one time she did kick it too much. There was... Um, <laughs> Uh, a lot of it, they obviously had different stuntmen on it. There's an episode uh, called Mandrake. Right. And in Mandrake, uh, on a Blackman episode, there's a fight scene in a graveyard. Mm-hmm. And in the fight scene, Jackie Palo, who was a wrestler but was working mm-hmm. in television on a Blackman, fights him and she accidentally kicked him. He bangs his head. He's Ooh. unconscious for seven and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was it, just an accident. But it shows that it, it was a little a little harder, mm. a little harder edge than it used to be. And throughout the series, yeah. it continued. I think she established something where instead of it just being Steed rescuing her and fighting, all mm. throughout the series, any of the other girls who took over, yeah. their fight scenes would be fairly prominent in the series. Sometimes the extent of they would work with Steed in a fight scene, sometimes they would have a fight scene mm. and save Steed. Yeah. Which I thought was a nice turn. I think, um, obviously, because it was fairly early 60s, I think they were quite keen not to make it appear as though the two leads were in any kind of relationship. But you get little hints that there may be something going on because they just seem to... Like, they let themselves into each other's apartments, you know. There was certain dialogue (laughs) between them and you were never sure if there was... Mm. anything more than a professional relationship between mm. them and there were hints that there there would be or that Steve would like it to be yeah but were they you know it almost I almost thought like I always thought it was a, they they were flirting but nothing went on went on between them mm. um although obviously in the uh, Diana Riggs when she was playing Emma Peel mm. Uh, not well. If anyone listening hasn't seen the series, this will <laughs> spoil it Spoilers. somewhat. Spoil it somewhat. <laughs> but the end, when having been called Mrs. Emma Peel, she obviously has a husband somewhere. Mm. The last episode, the Forget Me Not, Mr. Peel does appear. You don't yeah. see his face, mm. but Steed looks out the window, and Emma Peel gets into looking the, guy, isn't he? The car, yes, and he <laughs> seems to be, you know, with his umbrella, his suit, and and, and his hat, looking remarkably in the distance. Like John Steed. Because <laughs> mm. that's another thing. At early doors, John Steed, it's all kind of trench coats and... Um... Yeah, the look of the series did change for him. Mm. Um, certainly later on, where there, there, was, there was the bowler hat and the, yeah. and the umbrella. I think by the end of the last series with Honor Blackman, it's kind of established he's got his Pierre Cardin suit, he's got his bowler hat, he's got his umbrella... <laughs> It was a very stylish series in the 60s. Mm. There were periods when, whether it would happen now, Patrick McNee, if you look at the end credits, it would say Patrick McNee designed some of his own wardrobe. Mm. Mm. Uh, and then they would, of course, sell those things yeah. on later on. Designers would use those to mm-hmm. make money off, off the back of the series. But they did look very stylish, whereas in the early 60s, it was obviously they were filmed in black and white then. Mm. But it was more darker, mundane. Yeah. But these people back then didn't want to stand out. When you for the job they were doing when it was a fairly serious series when it came more fantasy based, mm. 
And there were often episodes where someone would like to say to Steve, let me take your hat and your umbrella, sir. And he would say no, mm. because he was very likely to use them in some way to yeah. hit someone later on in that episode. Well, I notice he's very anti-guns. I think that's something very personal to Patrick McNee, because I think he served in the forces. Mm. Patrick McNee also said that the only time Steve had a gun was when he picked it up Yeah, from a villain. Mm. And it was... It was not something, certainly in the later episodes, one Sam appealed and that arrived and it was him working with one of the girls. They they rarely used guns. They, they, they did shoot people occasionally, but a lot of the time it was using the umbrella, the bowler hat, mm. any piece of furniture that was to hand. Yeah. And martial arts and judo, they tended to use that as well, as opposed to picking up a gun and shooting someone in cold blood. Mm-hmm. So the, the first four years of the programme, it was quite a hit in the UK. Um and the, the fifth series, everything changed. Not only the fact you changed the leading lady. So, Honor Blackman, I think the... Well, I've read, I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but doing a little bit of research on Tinternet. Um, they're talking about a potential for an Avengers movie. And that got canned pretty early on in the sort of development because she was offered the part of Pussy Galore in... James Bond. Yes, they make a few references in that. There's always a few sort of in-jokes in the series mm-hmm. uh, with Patrick Maneer's Steed saying lines like she's pussyfooting around somewhere. <laughs> and in a later Diana Rigg episode, he gets a postcard uh, from Kathy Gale and he says something like, what on earth is she doing at Fort Knox? Mm. So there's nice, nice little jokes for that. In, yeah. a, in a way, you wonder if there had been a film, could it have been a success and spun off from the series, but mm. then you would have never had uh, the sort of Diana Rigg and Linda Thorson years. Mm. But in other ways, you think, would that have been better than the uh, diabolically bad Avengers movie they made with Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman? Oh dear, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually watch that as a bit of research, and that's an hour and a bit of my life I can never get back. There are the odd moments. Did it that's good. I think the only one of the decent lines was Sean Connery saying something along the lines of John Steed, what kind of a horse's ass name is that? Uh, it's probably <laughs> the only moment of fun. At the beginning of the film, they try and do things, they try and get back to the 60s with Steve yeah. walking through a lovely little uh, village, that's it, which turns out to be a training ground. Mm. And you thought it was potential, but after those yeah, few it all minutes, pear shaped, deteriorated. Yeah, not good, not good. So, yeah, at the end of series four, Honor Blackman departs. Um, they go from making it on 405 Lines video into film. And that instantly gives it a much more glossy, stylish look when you see the following series. And then they're faced with the idea of having to replace their leading lady. Now, they didn't initially cast Diana Rigg as Emma Peel. No, they they started filming the first episode with someone else Mm. and... Really, they felt it wasn't working out. Yeah. And then Diana Rigg came in. Mm. Um, looking back now, people think, well, they must have spent a lot of time choosing her, casting her, and a lot of thought went into it, and she was the only person she wasn't. Mm. Um, but she certainly, you know, probably these days, looking back, if someone talks about the Avengers, they will most likely say Emma Peel. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is a lovely name. Yes. <laughs> Does that have any special relevance for you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Leading question. Well, no, there is. My, my daughter, um, Emma, <laughs> here, she's now 12 years old. Um, not only that, I do like the Avengers, 
somewhat to the extent that my daughter is called Emma and her middle names are Catherine and Tara. Uh, the other day she was just saying to me, Dad, at least you didn't call me Purdy. Oh, I love it. So she does have something to be grateful for. Yes, yeah, I, I think that. Well, could have called a Gambit. No, no, it's not going yeah. there. But Emma Peel, of course, came from, um, and it sounds very sexist now, you know, in the in the uh, the depths of history, that it was M for Man Appeal. Yeah, they they were coming up with, they're trying to think of a name, and they just kind of, they had Man Appeal, and then they just shortened it to M Appeal. And then they just decided to call Ram Appeal, which I thought was quite cool. Yeah, slightly <laughs> dubious origins, but yeah, quite cool. Yeah. Um, it's especially odd coming from a series that really, you know, I, I know there are perhaps a lot of sexist moments in many 60s series, but mm. The Avengers was almost the opposite. Mm. It was making the women stronger than the men. And the, the other thing that happens in that series, they change the theme. So up until that point, they'd had a kind of jazz theme. Johnny Dankworth. Johnny theme. Dankworth, yeah. Um, and then it changes to, I think, the thing that most people identify with the Avengers. From Laurie Johnston. Yeah. Yeah, very good Avengers theme, which they then carried on into Linda Thorson era and still used just a little section of it when Laurie Johnston rewrote the theme for the new Avengers in mm. the 1970s. Yeah. And it is a very mm-hmm. strong theme. And they sold the fifth series, the first Diana Rigg series, to Forget Broadcasting, I think it was NBC in the States. And that was a first for a UK show, and it was reportedly sold for two million. Mm. A lot is... of series back then, um, well, into the seventies as well. It was good to get American backing mm. and American funding. I mean, much later on in the New Avengers, they they filmed a lot of the New Avengers in Canada, mm. uh, which the original series could never dream of affording. No. That sort of thing. There were drawbacks that sometimes, not with the Avengers, but other series had drawbacks where they had to then, they were always forced in, they have to make their money in America. And mm-hmm. um, 70s series like Return of the Saints, where they spend a lot of money filming it in places like Italy, yeah. they had to make money back in the American market as well, mm. and they failed to do that. So the series didn't last. Thankfully, in the 60s, the Avengers, on the whole, they, they did have a lot of location work, perhaps more than a series like The Saint, mm. whereas The Saint was predominantly filmed on the back lot. Yeah. Um, the Avengers was at least filmed on location. Um, although if you look at the uh, the Tara King episodes, the opening titles, which are excellent, there's one bit she runs over a bridge. Mm-hmm. And that bridge turns up in many episodes of 60s <laughs> series. You watch and think, that bridge looks very familiar. And it's because it's obviously near the studios. Mm. They can use that and they own the land. <laughs> I think also, probably part of the appeal, certainly people I talk to online who live in the States of this kind of programme is the very sort of Britishness of it. And it is, a, it is not a thing. It's almost like they, would, they tried to create, and I think Brian Clemens at the time, they wanted to create an England that didn't really exist. Mm. Uh, some series, they would hire lots of extras to be in the background for certain scenes, or they would just film out in the street. The Avengers mm. were much more... They didn't want extras in the background. They yeah. didn't want much going on. They wanted it to be an England that didn't exist. I think they called it Avengers Land. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that phrase coined before but yeah. having said it I've recently watched some documentaries um, made by the Rank organisation back in the 60s now on DVD and it mm. shows certain things in London and there's one thing I think they show the Shell building mm. and inside the Shell building they had their own swimming pool and they were showing all these different things back then that was high tech how mm. they sorted the mail yeah. and just watching that now looking that's somewhere that John Steed would have gone yeah. into. Him and Emma Peel would have gone undercover. Yeah. They would have investigated. So although there is this, I used to think it's a very fictional era, some of it is taken from real 
innovations in the 60s. Mm. And certainly look at the series changed in colour. Yes. Because it became very bright. <laughs> yeah, very much of its time. It was that kind of psychedelic period, wasn't it? Sort of 67, 68. Um, and also I think that I've heard the term spy-fi used as well, which is much more sort of relevant to that, that era because they do go much more with the sort of fantasy element of it. They did become much more after the early years, well, Blackburn, there were hints of it, but in the Diana Rigg and the Linda Thorson eras of the Avengers, they became much more fantasy-based. Mm. I think the first one I can think of are the Honor Blackman ones where it kind of goes slightly strange is there's one called Mr. Teddy Bear. Have you seen that one? Mm, yes. Mm. I mean, they, they do... Um, sorry, that reminds me of the Avengers film where they have the meeting <laughs> where they dressed up as teddy bears. A very bad flashback. But yeah, they, they did have hints of it in, yeah. the, in the Honor Blackman series. But in the Diana Riggs series, they would... I think they're very ordinary episodes where... Um, I think there's Death at Bargain Prices. Diner Rigg ends up working in a big right. department, department store. department store, yeah. But obviously, strange things go on in the department store. Yeah, if I remember right, there's the guy that's running it has primed a huge bomb to go off in the middle of London, which is based in their basement of the cellar or something. Yeah, yeah it's it's a supervillain, but on a, yeah. a British, we've only got a certain budget for this TV series, so we'll set it in a department store. Kind of, are you being served? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it, they get more and more. I mean, the, that's part of the appeal to me. It's it's kind of out there, and it's got that fantasy element to it. And there's some great storylines. I mean, some of the fantasy came from. Um, I like that they wrote. wrote I mean, a lot of the stories. I suppose they got repeated in a way. But some of the villains. I think it's the house that Jack built hmm. uh, with Diana Rigg, where a madman traps. Emma Peel and a house and there's various rooms with tricks and things going on often they would involve the villain choosing a location mm. or a certain way of, of killing people but it was very fantasy orientated yeah. one of the uh, Tara King episodes uh, called Game mm. is uh, a villain killing people with, with games right. you see a toy racing track and a car racing around it mm-hmm. And you see a man supposedly sitting in a real racing car. When the toy car crashes, he crashes. Yeah. And that each person is killed um, by a game. Someone's seen climbing a very tall ladder. Mm-hmm. And the villain's in a room playing snakes and ladders on the game. And, of course, the person dies. And, mm-hmm. and you see these various people being killed. And it evolves later on, of course, that um, the one person he's after in the end is Major John Steed. Yeah. Who was, uh, I think, involved in a court-martial. But right. they have these, it's, you can't just, the villain I think even says at one point that he could have killed all these people very easily. Yeah. But he didn't want to do that. Mm. He wanted to drag it out and that makes for far better television. So all these sort of master villains and weird and wonderful characters coming in, it does lend itself to having, in my opinion, some of the most fantastic guest stars. I'm not entirely sure if all of them were quite as well known as perhaps they are now, looking back in hindsight, but there are some... You know, if you're into that sort of period of British TV, there's some great names coming up there. There are there are some brilliant people. I, mean, I I think that for every person I could name who was in the Avengers as a guest star, there's 20 people I forget. I will mention John in Missouri later, but a lot of mm-hmm. comedy actors like Ronnie Barker had been in it. John Cleese appears in one of the Tara King episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were were known or becoming known at that time. Yeah, um, famous. Um, film stars Peter Cushing. Yeah, he was in the Return of the Cybernauts with Diana Rigg, mm-hmm. and later appears in the first episode of the New Avengers. Yeah, 
Uh, again, there's. I mean, can you? How, who can you do? <laughs> there's loads of Doctor Who because we're both Doctor Who fans. You'd be surprised to learn. Um, loads of Doctor Who connections. Nicholas Courtney yes. is in one of the very early ones. Yes, an aircraft with a very pilot. Pilot with a very funny crash helmet. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeffrey Palmer's been in it more than once. Um, ooh, Roger Delgado. The original yes. master from Doctor Who, he's been in it a couple of times as well. Um, a lot of these people say Roger Delgado, for instance, did turn up in other stories, mm. um, other programs like The Saint. Yeah. You would see a lot of these character actors, they, they were they were jobbing actors back then. Mm-hmm. You would see someone in The Saint and Randall Hopkirk deceased, mm-hmm. and they would often, you know, reappear, yeah, um, playing different characters. Yeah, I mean, being a, a James Bond fan, there's, there's plenty of um. You know, James Bond links to characters like Robert Brown, who later on went on to play M. He appears in them. There's lots of, there, there are so many links to different films and different cult TV series. People mm. back now, now who weren't as famous then. Yeah. But it's great to see them because you you forget watching Game that I mentioned mm. the um, Linda Thorson episode. Uh, one of the villain or the assistant to the villain that is Garfield Morgan, and he went on to play Haskins. The yeah. The boss of Regan and Carter and the Sweeney. Yeah. And there are people you forget are in the series. Mm. Each time you watch an episode, mm. you think, oh, I forgot they were in it. Now, I could just cheat and kind of make out that I'm being really knowledgeable, but I have actually got a, a list on my screen next to the mic. It's telling me all the guest stars. And there's some great ones in Give there. Give me some names. Uh, you've got Paul Eddington, who's fantastic. Paul Eddington, excellent. Yeah. Yes. Um, one of my favourite um, guest actors from Doctor Who, Philip Maddock. Philip Manor, Booby Yeah. Um, he passed away, sadly, not that long ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's forever. Like, you, we were talking about this before we started recording. For every one that you can name, there's probably another 10 that, you know. It really is a who's who of character actors from British TV and nice films. Nice puns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> so yeah, I think for a lot of people, the, the M Appeal years are probably the, the quintessential Avengers. It was difficult series. taking over from Honor Blackman, mm. but they changed the style and, like, as you were saying, much more fantasy based. Yeah. And again, the look of the show, the style, the costumes, yeah. the, the way that they were dressed, that um, the, the now looking back, some of it, yes, it, it, it is of its time. Perhaps yeah. someone wouldn't wear a, a berry with a target on the top or something, <laughs> yeah. you know, as Diana Rigg did back yeah. then. But but the costumes that they they were interesting. It, oddly enough, you got Steed and what now perhaps is a fairly conservative suit. I know some of the yeah. suits became a bit brighter later, but in a fairly conservative suit. But the way you know the, all the characters in it would be dressed very very stylishly. Well, I think if you look at it, my take on it was that Steed is very much. Although he's this sort of dashing hero, he's kind of of the establishment to a degree. He's he's got his suit, he's got his bowler hat, and he loves his classic vintage cars. And then his sidekicks always seem to dress in the latest fashions. They've always got the latest sports cars, and there's that kind of nice kind of juxtaposition. The the sports cars, yeah, that's right. And Steed would have the Bentley. Yeah. Uh, Later on, I think he he had a Rolls Royce in the New Avengers, but Patrick Mm. he thought that was. Not really, Steed. It no. was a little too ostentatious, and he, he should have he should have perhaps stuck to an uh, an older model of car. And but yes, the vehicle looks that that was an excellent mm. idea in the series. You were talking before about um, Patrick Minney kind of designing his outfits. I think um, Diana Rigg was very keen to get involved. Uh, the first series she did, they had her wearing a sort of leather catsuit, and she didn't like it at all. 
so she insisted on sort of being involved in the design of what became the first colour series and I believe she, of... she designed her own outfit for it for a touch of brimstone. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favourite outfits. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to elucidate uh, on that? Though, I, I, I can't really remember. <laughs> Bear in mind your wife might be listening to this. <laughs> Something to do with leather and studs <laughs> I believe, and, and a whip. Um, but again, hey. the look, that was a great look. And tough sidetracking now. Think of that episode. People remember it for her, her outfit and mm. the snake, but the main villain played by Peter Wingard. Yeah. Went on in Department S, went on to play Jason King. Again, mm-hmm. another another good, you know, a, a good British actor and based around the Hellfire Club. Mm. So taking something traditional and yeah. giving it a modern a modern spin. Yeah. So you've got the past and the and the, and the future meeting. I think one of the, I've I've got the whole box set which takes some getting through. There's a lot of discs in there. It's great. It's very enjoyable. Um, I tried to cram in as many as I could before we recorded this, but they are, I couldn't get all of them. But there have been some really good standout ones. The, you mentioned the one in the department store. I thought that was quite entertaining. Um, Death of Bargain Price. Yeah. Terrible. And um, there's one we watched the other night, which I think my other half wasn't that sold on the idea of the adventure. She kind of enjoyed it, but wasn't a huge fan of it. But we watched The Hidden Tiger the other night, and she thought that was fantastic. Um, and the plot, as I remember goes along the lines of there's these people being savaged by apparently some <laughs> sort of wild beast and they decide to go in and investigate. And uh, oh, it's another great cameo because you've got Ronnie Barker. <laughs> um, I think this would have been probably about the same time that he would have been on um, David Frost's programme. So I suppose they were just... So he was just becoming... Known. Yeah, just getting into their sort of the launch of that career because he went on for years and years as a major star on British TV and he plays this very eccentric chap with the surname of Cheshire uh, who's obsessed with cats. Uh, so that's where the villains had changed. Some of the earlier stories that I like, one like Mandrake. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Mandrake's one where certain people are killed mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason and that usually the husband and the wife is involved and the husband's body is then taken to a graveyard in Cornwall where it's buried mm-hmm. because in the ground there there is arsenic. So if they've been poisoned with arsenic, by the time the authorities in theory get round to doing an autopsy, it's too late. Yeah. If their body's got arsenic, it's soaked in naturally from the ground. So yeah. a slightly silly idea, yeah. but it was still... They tried to play There's with a kind the of logic of, with it, of yeah. seriousness, whereas yeah. the later ones, like, like uh, Emma Peel and Tara King, they became much more fantasy-based, mm. where mm. perhaps there wasn't so much of a threat to the characters. Mm. I know in a lot of these series that the villain uh, is, is going to lose and the hero isn't in any danger, but you like to at least feel there is some threat and some danger yeah. they could get hurt or injured or killed. With the Avengers later on, there was no danger mm, mm. based on the villain, but that didn't detract from the series being being fun and enjoyable. No, that's it. I think um, going back to having to change the format of the program or having to change the leading ladies, Diana Rigg stayed in for two series or three series. Oh, I can't. There was a black and white. There was colour. Yeah. And they they ran. I mean, the series ran for a lot of episodes. Uh, most British series don't tend to perhaps run much beyond maybe ten or twelve episodes. Whereas I think because this was made in conjunction with the states, I think there were a good twenty odd episodes per they, series. They were doing longer runs, which was also 
demanding on the mm. cast. Yeah. And and the danger of, of the typecasting. Mm. So Diana Rigg decides to take a bow and she goes off and does a James Bond film as well. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yes, that's that's two leading ladies gone <laughs> <laughs> to the land of James Bond. Yeah. And then Linda Thorson took over as Tara King. Yeah, so who, she she comes in... She's late in yeah. the late, very late 1960s. Mm. Obviously still in colour, still very bright bright to look at. A nice new opening titles yeah. um, and, a, and a slightly rearranged theme tune. Had she done anything think. before? She, she was or? very one well, She was very young. I mean, you, you think of um, Honor Blackman. When Honor Blackman left and she was in Goldfinger in 1964, she was then one of the older Bond girls. Mm. Um, and when uh, Linda Thorson took over the Avengers... I, I think in, in retrospect she was sort of slated by people. Diana Rigg was very, very hard to follow. Mm. She was a good actress and they, they really developed the style, the fantasy, the humour, the repartee between... There was Steve a real rapport, Peele. wasn't there? Between and it worked brilliantly. She had to come into that and it was very difficult. Mm. And I really liked Linda Thorson as Tara King. Yeah. A lot of people dismiss her series entirely. I think she held her own very well... Uh, as an actress who was young and still mm. learning, she held her own in the fight scenes, but she was treated very badly. They mm. made her dye her hair. That caused problems. She had yeah, to wear a wig Yeah, that went badly wrong. Yeah, And that went wrong. They said, you're fat, you have to lose weight, which is very insulting mm. to say to somebody. And, and In a way, I know that Patrick, when he was going through some issues there and certain tablets he was taking in the 60s, he would lose weight and gain weight. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think... and. It, it's hard because everything's through rose-tinted glasses. But looking back, you know, mm. I, I, he was perhaps a little more of a father figure yeah. towards her. There was, you know, hints at a relationship, much yeah. more father figure because of he was getting older because he'd been doing mm. the Avengers series for quite a few years and she was much younger. And she's the only in. one, if I remember rightly, that's actually in the organisation. So Emma Peel and Cathy Gale and the others were... Described as amateurs. Mm, talented amateurs. And yeah. John C was the professional. She yeah. actually worked for the organisation. Yeah. Um, I think the organisation became... The ministry became sort of ruined a little later on mm. um, for the American market. They wanted it explained. Who does, who does he work for? You know, Who do they mm. work for? There must be an organisation. We need to see it. And they brought in Patrick Newell uh, as their boss. Yeah, mother. Yes, I, I'm never sure, looking back, if that was <laughs> deliberate, if that was them going, OK, we've got to do this for the American market to simplify it for them. OK, let's do something silly. Let's call him Mother. And let's give them the psychic played by a woman and we'll call her Father. Mm. And they would have him appear... He's slightly patronising to the American audience as well, to be fair. It is. I don't, I don't think the Americans needed that. I don't no. think they needed simplification. They didn't need it explaining. I think judging by the success of the, the Diana Rigg years, I don't... Well, you know. Why, why explain it later on? Yeah, but often quite. they would meet in bizarre things. He'd be parked in a mini mooc in the middle of a field or something silly. Or a double-decker so, bus. A double, yeah, they, they, would, they would try and make it interesting for mm. him to give him the missions, but he was, he was no, no longer needed. I always have a feeling Patrick Newell, somewhere early long, does appear in the Avengers, mm. long before he plays Mother. But often people would come back. Yeah, quite. Because you'd forget who they played, and back then without the recording... Yeah. technology at home you could forget an episode so sure. some of the Anonna Blackman episode mm. was later reworked as a Diana Rigg episode yeah. they changed the title and some of the plotting mm. but because you it was two three years down the line you, yeah. would, you would have forgotten that 
but I was never convinced about Mother. I thought mm. that was a waste. I was happy for them to carry on as they are. I think they had a quite a lot of behind the scenes issues on that Linda Thorson first series as well. They they'd had a successful team that have been covering the, the Diana Rigg years and they kind of moved on and I think if I remember rightly, could be wrong on this, but I think they brought back a couple of the people who were involved with the, the earlier Avengers and decided they wanted to make a shift in tone and they thought it had gotten a bit too silly and they wanted to change the direction it was going in and by all accounts it really didn't go well at all. Um, I think people concerned behind the scenes that it just wasn't what they wanted so these other two got soon shipped off again and they brought back the guys who were involved in the, the Diana Rigg episodes even to the point of actually creating a first new episode which they hadn't originally done for Linda Thornton to introduce her character and bringing back Diana Rigg to mm. give her a, a, a send-off. I think that episode, the, the forget-me-not, although I oh, cause sacrilege here and upset people, I think it's a very <laughs> sloppy episode. It is a, a lot of people being made unconscious <laughs> throughout the episode. They're knocked out, they revive, they're knocked out, they revive. But it was a good idea to have a handover, especially mm. from a very confident series. Yeah. So you have got the handover between uh, Dinah Rigg and Linda Thorson. Although the handover is very brief, they, they cross on the stairs and the only advice that Emma Peel gives to Tara King is about Steed and she says I think he he likes his no she says he likes his tea stirred anti-clockwise <laughs> but it was still a nice idea to at least have a handover and yeah. it's also a lovely sort of end title sequence which they only used in, in the forget me not mm. which has um, Steed and Tara King doing a routine at the end which was a little bit Diana Rigg and it was nice that when they then started the Linda Thorson series mm. they did brand new yeah. opening titles yeah. with the knights in armour mm-hmm. in the field uh, and that, and I, I like that again it's still very stylish but it was nice to have some sort of handover and it would help perhaps the public to identify this is just somebody else working alongside yeah. John Steele. Yeah, so a continuation of the same story. It's not a new series. Mm. Mm. You, you know, it's not, you know, Emma Peel regenerating into somebody else. <laughs> it? And they didn't, that was the other problem. You could easily go down the route of saying, we will just do Emma Peel and we'll mm. just call her Tara King. Yeah. Let's make her the same. And you can say there are similarities between, in the original series, all three Avenger girls. Mm that they are similar, but they, they at least try to establish, no, this is, this is Tara King, and, and she is, you know, she is, she is different to the other girls. I mean, it had quite a longevity. It went from 61 to, I think it finished in 69, was it? Yeah. 70? Yeah, so 69 was the That was a pretty one. decent run. I mean, I, looking at it now, I mean, the whole landscape of TV's changed in the UK because of the whole digital and multi-channels and things like that, which we didn't have back then in the 60s, but... I don't know what you think, but I, I can't honestly see now ITV coming up with anything no, there were as imaginative as that. That would last a few years. Randall Hotcoat, deceased, would last a little bit. And the mm. same lasted quite a few years. Roger Moore, that went through the, the black and white era and into mm. the colour era, and that yeah. established it. But looking back, even people think like cult series like The Prisoner, yeah. that was 17 episodes. Mm. And that was it. It was going to be more, but it, it, they cancelled it and it didn't last. Um, so the longevity of the Avengers mm. is good. And it still um, came back. 
Yeah. Was going to come back as the Avengers. They renamed it the New Avengers. Wasn't this part financed by a French broadcaster? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not sure because it was filmed in Canada, so I don't know yeah. if it's French or French Canadian. But they, mm. they 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 brought them they brought them back together. In fact, there's a a famous story where they're they're in Canada and the actor Peter O'Toole gets into a lift and bumps into Patrick McNee. Right. And says, oh, Patrick, what are you doing here? And Patrick says, I'm doing the Avengers. And Peter O'Toole says, but Patrick, you're always doing the Avengers. <laughs> and it was true, he was. Yeah. Um, the new Avengers, um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go down the Tara King route and say I rather like the new Avengers. Not all the episodes are great, mm. but having said it, there are weak episodes in the Avengers. That's true, yeah. Um, throughout the eras of all three girls. But the new Avengers... Um, it was different. Patrimony was getting older. Yeah. So they brought in Gareth Hunt as Mike Gambit to do more of the action. Yeah. Joanna Lumley was Purdy. Mm-hmm. So again, a, a strong female lead who yeah. would do ballet and martial arts. Posh dodgy. Nice, yeah. But <laughs> they still, I think some episodes of New Avengers did hark back to the, the classic episodes of the original. The very first one was The yeah. Eagle's Nest. They brought in Peter Cushing. Mm-hmm who had been um, in control of the Simonauts back in the 60s in an Avengers, Avengers episode. And again, it was a slightly zany idea. He was brought to some obscure place in Scotland to bring someone back to life. He doesn't realise the person he's asked to bring back to life is Adolf Hitler. So, slightly crazy uh, story, yeah. <laughs> but beautiful moments. There's a lovely scene where you've got um, Steve Purdy and Gambit marching... Uh, the modern day Nazis out at the end having defeated them and as they walk along they're whistling the theme to Colonel Bogey. <laughs> nice. so, and that that would have fitted perfectly yeah. into the 1960s yeah. episode. Yeah. There's even a, a lovely, back in the 70s, a car chase. Now there were endless car chases in the series like the Sweeney. They would have to crash through a, crash through a plate glass window or definitely go through some market stalls and smash up things. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, a, again, a, a very 1960s touch, I think, with Mike Gambit driving the sports car John and Lumley of Purdy's next to him. Mm-hmm. They crash through a market stall carrying fruit. The next shot inside the car, Gambit's still driving. John and Lumley's now eating an apple. So <laughs> that to me was, you know, there, there were there were weak episodes in the New Avengers, but that was much more harking back to the humour so style of the 60s. Just little notes. That evolved, yeah. It yeah. shows it can still be done. Yeah. Um, but that did make it hard, certainly back to Linda Thorson, the era of Linda Thorson as Tara mm. King. It was hard to continue with a series and not just imitate Diana Ring. Where could the writers go? What yeah. could they do that was new? Mm. Some of it did perhaps become a little too silly yeah. on the fantasy side. Uh, but I still think you know she did hold her own pretty well in the episodes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have vague memories of New Avengers as a kid. Um but I don't really remember very many. No, I kind of it, I remember the the characters, but that's really about it. Yeah, it was it was more obviously it was set in the seventies. It was more present day. Mm. The cars on the whole, I know Steve had a Rolls Steve had a Rolls Royce, but they were driving. I think John and Umbley's Purdy drove a TR seven or something. Mm. It was a sports car, so they were modern cars, and perhaps the modern setting. It's hard now. We look back at it, the Avengers was in yeah. the 60s, though it was set in a, a, a fantasy 60s. Yeah. It was very difficult to set the new Avengers in a fantasy 70s. Mm-hmm. They would go to Canada and film. They would film, in, they would film in England. And it was hard to create perhaps a fantasy series. They brought back the Cybernauts for the third time. Oh, I didn't um, realise that. Who were, I think it was called The Last of the Cybernauts, 
who were, you know, a good... Again, it was odd. They spent all this money on, on going to Canada. Mm. And the Cybernauts are basically people dressed up with a metal mask. <laughs> so yeah. they appear like robots. Yeah. But there was always that lovely swooshing sound when they swiped with yes. karate chop to kill them. That was lovely. So they brought that back. Yeah. But again, they didn't just try and and copy it like mm. in the Tara King era they didn't just say let's just rehash yeah. episodes in the Avengers um, you know Doctor Who something we both like it's very easy we all want to see old villains brought back we mm. want to see the Cybermen and the Daleks and sometimes it's a bit of a cheat to just bring them back because mm. you'll know you get good ratings and it's a bit of a cop out on writing an episode I think perhaps for people of our generation we might perhaps find you know oh, no, not another Dalek story. But if you think of it in the terms of, you know, your average kid who's just getting into the series might be sort of five or six. They want to see the Daleks. They want to see these kind of mythical creatures. And I think it's... As long as they can do it with a bit of imagination, I think the last few Dalek stories have been a bit lacklustre, but hopefully they'll... The new yeah. one looks pretty impressive. I haven't seen it yet. but it a, does look... a lot of the, the, the actors uh, and things, I think John Pert, we always mention, he find the Daleks boring mm. because they weren't very threatening and they couldn't yeah. do much, you know. And now, you know, now they can, they can, they can do a lot more, you know, than they, <laughs> they, they, they did then. That was the thing with the Avengers. The Cybernauts never really did any more than, you know, swipe people and kill them. Mm. I mean, but, Anna Blackman, she she got offered a role in Doctor Who when Tom Baker was doing it, and she turned it down. But they, she did appear in Colin Baker. She did, yeah. Voice. Yeah, that's right. Stretching for time. Yeah, no, he did. He got it right, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of like a whodunit in space. But she was originally offered a part in The Stones of Blood, Good which story. was uh, one of the ones with Mary Tam as Romana. Oh. And um, she felt that the... A uh, lady who was playing the sort of wizened old professor was getting all the best lines, so she declined to take the role <laughs> and they gave it to someone else. And of course, it's been announced fairly recently that Diana Rigg is going to be in this new series of Doctor Who. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's great. Um, if I was reading an interview with Diana Rigg, because her daughter Rachel Sterling's also in it, mm-hmm. and she said, We've both been asked to appear in certain things and we've declined because they haven't been particularly good or interesting to be in. Mm. And it's odd that a series that that was cancelled, like Doctor Who, because it, you know certain people felt it was perhaps cheap and tacky, is now very respected. Mm. And that a theatre actress, well, a renowned theatre actress like Diana Rigg, is willing to do it. But I do like that, because Diana Rigg, uh, again, in the interview she was talking about, I think last year, she was mentioning the Avengers and the James Bond film she was in, and they said, was she embarrassed by any of this? And she said, no, no, I'm proud to have done it. And doing theatre work, she felt that someone would come and see her in the theatre. And if they hadn't seen her as Emma Peel in The Avengers or as Tracy in On Majesty's Secret Service, they would have not gone to the theatre. Mm. So she you know, says, I look back on it and I'm very glad I did those things. Yeah. And now, you know, as, as a dame and, and a respected actress who can choose anything she wants to do, it's nice to see she's choosing something like Doctor Who that she can go back and enjoy herself and, and do it. Yeah, I think, if I remember correctly, it's going to be the one that's written by Mark Gatiss. Ah. I don't, they're being fairly cagey on the details, and I don't tend to always 
look for spoilers. I try to avoid them as much as I can. Cause I, you want to know a little, but not too yeah, much. Yeah, you know, you want to come into it fresh, otherwise it kind of, you know, ruins the, the effect of it. But I think Mark Gatiss, if ever, though, they, will, they will never do it. Uh, but if they ever brought back the Avengers, if there's someone who could write it, mm. it, it could be him. Or Charlie Hickson, um, mm-hmm. who I think did Randall Hockert Deceased very, very well. Yeah. Even to the extent of the first episode spoofing so much about how Marty's killed in the first episode and older people like me knowing he's going to get run over yeah. and dragging out quite a bit in the episode and, until he does that. Um, but some things, like the Avengers, you just wonder, Doctor Who has carried on. Yeah. There was a little break of a few years between the Avengers yeah. and the new Avengers. There is such a break now. Mm. They did the movie, yeah. which didn't really work. Um, and the Americans do insist on Hollywood do think let's bring back a series mm. let's try and do it as a movie or as a TV series well you had the remake work. of The Prisoner recently I don't know if you saw any of those yeah I admire very much what they did with it um, I wasn't going to watch any of it because The Prisoner is one of my favourite series ever and mm. I thought I cannot watch this and I saw Ian McKellen was in it and I thought well Ian McKellen, he's a renowned actor. Yeah. He's been in extras with Ricky Gervais. <laughs> he's got to be good. Um, as has Diana Rigg. <laughs> as has Diana Rigg with a condom on it. <laughs> yeah. You can't do better than that. <laughs> but you think, yeah, if, if he's doing I'll watch it and I could see what they were doing. Um, they didn't insult the original series, I didn't think. I still mm. love it. Having said it, I watched The Prisoner. I enjoyed what they did with it. I would never watch the remake again. I mm. got what I could from watching it. Yeah. It once. The interesting thing is they didn't dumb it down. And I was quite surprised that a lot of things, not then we're talking about things that were on ITV, but a lot of things on ITV do tend to sometimes dumb things down in plotting that in the first 10 minutes of the programme, yeah. you must know what's going on. Mm. Whereas some series, they can do an hour and you're still not quite sure. Yeah. And, and I like that. Um, yeah. These days, things it's harder because series can carry on and can have a lot of episodes. Mm. Whereas the Avengers were pretty much, here's a 50-minute episode, you've got to resolve it. The old Star Trek, you've got to resolve it. I think it wasn't really until Babylon 5 yeah. when he uh, came up with an idea for doing a five-year arc of a story mm. and they said, you're insane. Mm. And after that, things like Deep Space Nine and other series will carry on as a longer series. Now, Doctor Who isn't just a one-episode story. No. Moffat will have an arc going throughout it. The Avengers didn't do that. Because no. Because it wasn't, it wasn't I done think back then. I think when it's done really well, it, it's, it just adds an extra dimension to a series. But I don't know if you caught any of the, the last, most recent series of Torchwood. No, I um, did watch one. I watched the first episode, I think, and I thought, this is good, this is fun. Mm. And then by the end of the episode, it just became very silly and running around with a baby. I really enjoyed Children of Earth. I thought that was a great little sort of mini-series. Children of Earth is is uh, is brilliant. It's my favourite. I, I, I intimately catch an episode of Torchwood and apologies to anyone out there, I don't like it. I no. don't like the series. But I think Children of Earth is excellent. Yeah, it's really um, well put together. Pretty much down to, is it Peter Capaldi, the yes. Scottish actor? Yeah, he's great. Who plays it very, very well. Mm-hmm. And But the whole story arc of that was yeah, superbly written. Yeah, but this last series, I felt they stretched it way too far. I think they did over ten episodes. And you were talking about how you can watch an episode and you don't feel like you've really learned anything that's great if it's actually going somewhere, but I think I stuck with it just because I'm a bit of a nerd and I like to kind of see these things through. 
And by the time I got to the end of the tenth episode, I was just so relieved it was all over. It was just painful. Sometimes the the, the you know the thirty minute, forty five, fifty minute, whatever format, the mm. short format, an hour under, does work for a series. Yeah. And after that, you don't really want to go on and do any more or do mm. a story arc. But the way Moffat drags out river song for example yeah so it is so dragged out and yeah. it's so underplayed but mm. having said it, it it's uh it's a children's series yeah. and i think matt smith brought back what i like about doctor who mm-hmm. i grew up with the pertwee era yeah and you know now you know you know as an adult i i look back and still like doctor who but it to me it's a children's series and when matt smith was cast mm. it became back to being a children's series that Myself, my wife, my daughter, we all watched it. We all enjoyed it. A lot of things now, things I love and have loved since a child, Batman, Mm -hmm. James Bond, Doctor Who, they all have to become dark. They all have Mm -hmm. to become serious. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I think sometimes that's not always right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's great. And I'm very pleased the Bond films become dark and it's good. But, But I miss the fact of, you know, well, it should be... Not lighter, but it, it doesn't have to be gory and mm. nasty to be adult. I think adult a classic content. example of that, having said that, I've never seen any of them, but from what I hear people in reviews and, and reactions from people I know who've seen it, the Transformers series of mm. films, yeah, that started out as a, a kid's toy, yeah, kid's cartoon. So you've got a whole generation of people who grew up with that. And then they bring out the movies and it's... It they kind of goes fun, against the grain of the whole idea of it. They are fun popcorn movies, but they mm. can be a bit dark and violent. Perhaps yeah. not as violent as the Batman films, mm. because you've got more machinery yeah. Yeah. Um, fighting. But mm. yes, everything has become darkened. And I thought, I know the last series of Doctor Who became, became a bit darker, but the first series Matt Smith did, I thought, great, this is back to being a children's programme mm. like it used to be. But everybody at every age could, could enjoy it. I think I've seen it more than once where Moffat said that this series that we're about to get now is going back much more to um, individual stories rather than focusing on arcs as much as he had the last series. So I think that will give it a certain degree of freshness. And also um, I like the idea that they kind of hinted at at the end of the last series where they're going to make him much more of a enigmatic character rather than this sort of all-powerful god that he got to be when he was David Tennant, you know. Yeah, well, during the Sylvester McCoy era, they, they were a case of who is the Doctor and discussing mm. it and thinking, well, he's God. Yeah. That's who he is. He's yeah. Merlin. He's, he's a lot of people from, <laughs> yeah. from the past. Uh, and off that, at that stage, um, perhaps that's why they cancelled it. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully, I mean, in this, in this series, you know, my, my hope is that he goes back to this character who kind of almost like the sort of uh, Clint Eastwood man with no name where he kind of comes into a situation, nobody's got a clue who he is, and he just fixes it and then goes again. Mm. I love, or a lot, it's happened to many Doctor where he just goes. He doesn't mm. want the thanks or the credit, he just goes and does that. It's difficult when you're hundreds and hundreds of years old mm. to not change, yeah. and you want to change and do something. Mm. Um, it's nice that they do try and put perhaps other elements into it, but yeah, they go back to the... To perhaps a little bit of what it what mm. it used to be, and not just controlling, you know, controlling everything. The problem is, the more he does, the more 
how does the cliff if they're going to do a cliff and Moffat does this cliffhangers at the end of the series have to be bigger and more epic you know mm-hmm. if you're moving planets around the solar system he saved all the space and time and reality there's <laughs> yeah. nowhere to go well that's what RTD did wasn't it, it each year yeah. it just ramped it up and up and up and, and up. I think the end episode almost be like it would be nice if he saved the life of a small character yeah and make it much more human and much yeah. more I- emotional hmm. Yeah, to go back, or something simple, trying to change the past. One of the episodes where I think he tries to save Rose Tyler, or she goes back and saves her, Rose Tyler saves her dad yeah. in the David Tennant era. It's a small Father's thing. Day, yeah. All you do is you stop someone getting run over, but mm. the knock-on effect that has, yeah. perhaps that more so than saving all of space and time, which mm. can become a bit boring. Yeah. I know the Daleks are coming back, which would be good, mm. but when they had all the Daleks and the Cybermen together, it was so much and it was so big, there was no threat, there was no danger. Yeah. That's, so that's why I feel the Cybermen have not been that well served in the well, really since the first story. We discussed this on on the Blue Box podcast that I do as well. And um, you know, the the initial idea of them is fantastic. You have got these humans who, you know, their their bodies are wasting away, so they come up with this technology to allow them to continue, but they end up being something other, not quite human, not quite robot. And then after that, really, they just end up being generic robots. And certainly, the last outing they had it was very almost derisory they've just kind of turned up and they're hardly relevant to the plot at all really they're just there bring the Cybermen in yeah I'd like something back to the past there was an audio story Spare Parts yeah Peter Davison yeah that's great how they evolved and I I know things don't always fit with the series but Mm. almost the Doctor he travels in time and space yeah if he was back happened to end up back in an era where something is evolving like our Genesis of the Daleks which you know, turned out to be mm. one of the most popular stories yeah. for Doctor Whoever, how to reinvent the Daleks, they went back to the beginning. So perhaps they could bring something like that back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reading a, a comic recently um, which has got <laughs> Doctor Who and Star Trek The Next Generation. Ah, uh, yeah, I've seen it. I haven't actually read it, but I've seen I've it read a couple. It it's quite entertaining. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't persevere and read many more. I've read a couple, that's fine. But you've got... It's like, where do you go? Mm. So you do a crossover where the Daleks... And the Borg turn up. So mm. you've got the Borg from Next Generation. and Sorry, the Daleks, the Cybermen, rather. Yes. Not the Daleks, they may come in later. <laughs> um, so the Cybermen, but it's almost like, how far do you go? We've yeah. gone so far. I know it's only a comic, but you're turning up in a comic two big, powerful villains. Yeah. And you hope Doctor Who doesn't do that. I know the Pandorica um, had a lot of villains teaming yeah. up. But that was a marvellous ending from Moffat. Mm. Rather than something different, we're all going... What is in the Pandorica? What is in the Pandorica? Everybody's talking about it, yeah. and yet nobody's in it. It's for the Doctor, and yeah. that was a brilliant piece of plotting. Mm, that was Moffat twist. writing, but I think he's got the stage where he's done Terry Nation writing Blake Seven. You write yourself out. Yeah. Patrick McGoohan working on The Prisoner, going back to that era. You then think, yeah, I mean, Moffat doesn't do everything, but Patrick McGoohan thought he could, he could, he could write it, he could direct it, he could do the music. You do too much. And I think Moffat, it's nice he's got other people writing. Yeah. Neil Gaiman writing an episode mm, last year. Everything fantastic. like that is good. But it's almost like your ego perhaps can become too big and you mm. feel you know what's best for the whole thing. So perhaps just step back a little yeah. and let someone else put in some ideas. So is there anything that you've been watching lately or reading or oh, that you could oh, recommend to our listeners? Recommend. One thing I would love to recommend yeah. um, is a series called Dexter. Okay. It's now been running for six years, an American series. Um, it's starring Michael C. Hall, who is a very good actor. Mm. He was originally in a series called Six Feet Under, yeah. which was a very dark um, dark and humorous series about a family that run a funeral home. Mm-hmm. 
but in Dexter, which has been around for six years now, it doesn't really get mainstream play. It's very big in America, um, works well over DVD here, and mm. gets a lot of thing on uh, the digital channels. Yeah. Uh, the character he plays is Dexter Morgan. Dexter Morgan uh, works for the Miami Metro Police Department. Uh, he is a specialist in blood splatters, works mm. in the forensics department. Yeah. But Dexter Morgan is also a serial killer. <laughs> yeah. He, he's got a, a, a code um, that he follows. It's kind um, of twisted, isn't it? It's kind from of... his father. Yes, no, he only kills bad people. It sounds terribly corny, this. Mm. But uh, the novels are also very good, but the series has expanded the novels so much. Yeah. And in the six years that it's run, um, there's so much going on that almost when Dexter's in it, it's great. But all the other characters, his sister who's in it, mm-hmm. other characters like the police, uh, what's happening with them is as interesting as Dexter. Yeah. And they've done, there's 12 episodes a year, mm-hmm. there's six years so far, and I haven't personally found a weak episode. It's a pretty and decent I, recommendation. I can't say that my one of my favourite series, The Prisoner, seventeen episodes. There's yeah. a couple of weak ones in mm. there. Doctor Who, The Avengers have run for years and years. There are weak episodes, but yeah. Dexter, I can't highly recommend enough. It's it's not for the faint-hearted sometimes, but although he's a serial killer, there is a huge amount of humour in it, mm-hmm. and it's odd having a series that is as well written as a book. And in a book, you have to tone it down for a series and make the characters simpler. Mm-hmm. Less complex. The story's simpler. Dexter doesn't do that. The series is still very intelligent. Yeah. So I'd say try and watch them in order because something in series one can affect on there. But if anyone yeah. sees it, go and watch Dexter. <laughs> a good recommendation. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of something I've watched more recently. Um, well, I have to say, we, it's a series I'd seen lots of times before, but I blame Chris Burgess on Twitter for this. He was talking about the IT crowd the other day, so that kind of sparked my memory, so I thought, I'll I'll get the the complete box set. So I've been gradually going through those, and they're fantastic, great fun. I must admit, when they first broadcast, I kind of missed it. I think my main problem was that I'd seen the trailers on the TV, and it did, really didn't do it justice. Um, it put me off watching it, in fact. So I never really got around to watching it when they first aired, but having seen them on repeats and online and what have you... I fell in love with it. I thought it was fantastic. So yeah, I've only yeah. seen three or four, and I never got into the series. Mm. But there's one episode where they go to the theatre, and one of the characters, Big Hugh at the toilet, he goes to use the disabled toilet. <laughs> yeah. And through a chain of events, in a very sort of Basil Faulty type way, he can't go back, so he ends up pretending he's disabled. And it sounds very awful, this does, <laughs> but it is one of the most hysterically funny episodes of any series I've ever seen. It is... That was incredibly good. Yeah, and this is one that they tried to remake for the US market, and it really died a death. Mm. They tried to do things like to the office and other series. Yeah, where they try and, and the office, I think, it. is one of the few successful ones because that went on and that's had several series. I think they've taken what was good about the office and just kind of reinvented it for the American market, but not in a way that was to the detriment of the spirit of the original. Because if you copy a series... Yeah. I mean, again, I've not seen it, but I know Harvey Keitel is in their version of Life on Mars. Mm. Um, Life on Mars, the UK version, they're very, very good. I hope the American market can send it back to mm. New York cops or whatever it's set in the 70s. You've, yeah. yeah, you've got to change and not copy. Maybe that's why sometimes when the Americans come to remake a British TV series, like the Avengers and try mm-hmm. and 
do a modern version or try and do it based in the 60s, it doesn't quite work. Mm. There's something... Even doing their own series, Charlie's Angels. You know? Oh, God. <laughs> not, a, not, a very in, not a very in-depth series, I must admit. No. Uh, <laughs> but it still... It had its charms. It, it still... They did a couple of movies out of it. They, they, they actually, strange enough, they did try and redo the series of Charlie's Angels. Mm. They made a few episodes and it failed. Now, I don't know. I saw the one, whether that failed because it was very badly done... Or in some people's opinion, no, it's just Charlie's Angels and it was bad to begin with. But it was something of its time. That was a, in fact, that was a very link to the Avengers here, a mm. liberating series. You've mm. got three girls. They work for a mysterious guy they never meet. But they go out and solve the crimes. Yeah. And the only man who helps them is Bosley, who is certainly not an action hero by not any standards. Not really, no. <laughs> um, and they go out and do it. And I, I wonder if a series like the Avengers mm. perhaps made things like Charlie's Angels yeah, possible in the 70s yeah, I think that they, they saw it and thought this is liberated we can definitely see the influence there definitely yeah but um, yeah the, the movies were pretty dire they, they were they were not <laughs> they were not strong but I mean something yeah sometimes they can do something and reinvent it and these days it's always the, I think the phrase is always reboot yeah we're going to reboot the franchise mm. um, sometimes I can see that works maybe because I'm older seeing trailers for the new Spider-Man I'm slightly puzzled yeah. why they're rebooting a series that to me is is a recent film but having said it if Spider-Man's maybe about 10 years old now yeah yeah. so if someone you know was 7 when that came out they might yeah. not say they're now 17 yeah, I, I found the same audience. thing with Bond there was a, a big gap between Timothy Dalton's last one Licence to Kill and Goldeneye yeah and I was stunned going to the cinema to see Goldeneye I couldn't hear half the film mm. because people were chat shouting and cheering. Mm. Now I've gone to Bond films and seen things like The Spy Love Me when they came out. Bond skis off a cliff. Union Jack parachute comes out. People would cheer and clap intermittently, but yeah. it's almost like I think we forget something perhaps can be reinvented mm-hmm. and can be redone, and it's not that much from the past. But there are other things I do think maybe they should be just left. Yeah, I think we come full circle because uh, <laughs> I went to see the Avengers Assemble when it came out, and uh, that was a full house, and there was cheering in that. There were some real—I don't know if you've seen it. No, I haven't. I, I like some of the cartoon things, mm. but I, 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 I didn't go. Yeah. I think it's got so many characters and films that I was not particularly interested. So bringing characters I'm not yeah. interested in together in one film didn't quite work. Well, for me. we went to see it. I mean, it helps. It's not imperative that you have to have seen all the previous films but you perhaps might take a little extra from it if you have seen them but I think it's it's the strongest superhero film and going back to what you were saying about Batman um, being incredibly dark very violent this is in my opinion the most fun superhero movie for a long time Uh, it's a real film that you could take your kids to and really enjoy and although there's all those characters I think they do it so well Joss Whedon um, kind of oversaw the whole thing and although you've got all these characters they all get their little moment to shine and there's there's none that really gets sidelined and he manages it very well because it could have been a very difficult thing to try and pull off but um, the Hulk is the one that everyone seems to go back to in the in the movies that they brought out they just hadn't worked at all but in this film it's perfect pitch perfect it's really well done um so yeah if you haven't seen it it's well worth a watch i will 
I will go back and I will watch that now. <laughs> <laughs> Having not seen it, I will be open-minded. I think, there, yeah, there was this issue again. It was heroes brought yeah. together. Oh, it's going to be them. It's going to be dark and, mm. and, and, and depressing. And having not seen all the films, I've seen mm. the Hulk and things, but not seen all the films relating yeah. to the heroes in it. I used to read a lot of the comics when I was younger. Yeah. But uh, that that's nice to know that something has been mm. at least um, lightened up a little. <laughs> <laughs> Although you can lighten things up too much if you've seen Sherlock Holmes' A Game of Shadows. <laughs> uh, yeah, we watched that recently, actually. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, you know, as sequels go, it wasn't I, awful. I love, but... I love the Holmes books. I think they're brilliant, and I like what they've done with a lot of Holmes things. Mm. Uh, but that was very silly, and that was. Uh, what did you think uh, of Moriarty in that film? Um, I thought yes. Um, Jaron Harris, Keith. Um, yeah. <laughs> Keith that? Harris. <laughs> he said Keith Harris. <laughs> I don't remember Orville being yeah. in it. <laughs> Actually, Orville would have fitted really well into that film. But Richard Harris's son. Yeah, I thought like he it. he was very good as Moriarty, and he was making a Sherlock Holmes film. Yeah. And everybody else was making a pantomime, mm. and it didn't work. It was it was. Just for me, I appreciate Holmes. Is, I love Holmes. The books are my favourites. Mm. Jeremy Brett is superb in the series. Yeah, I think and he's great. I, I bought the first Sherlock Holmes film that Robert Downey Jr. did, and I love it. I appreciate mm. it's tongue-in-cheek, but I think the new one became too silly and too over-the-top, and it had no real relationship to Sherlock Holmes, except perhaps Moriarty. Mm. And the odd film to compare it to but is the Mission Impossible film, Ghost Protocol. I haven't seen that one yet. Which I have seen... And they're very hit and miss, the films these mm. days. But that, again, looked like, instead of it being two different films together, the first half of the film was written by a committee writing a, a spy comedy. Yeah. And the second half, they're writing a serious film. Mm. And it doesn't gel at all mm. well. I mean, there's some terrific stunt work, but you never feel the characters are in any danger because mm. there's no semblance of making them real. No. I mean, Tom Cruise did some amazing stunt work I mean his stunt work is you know I know his ego is pretty big and some of the buildings he was climbing <laughs> on were equally big and the stunt work he did on that was terrific on the edge of the building yeah I was hoping he would be busy and do a new Mission Impossible film um, uh, but sadly they've cast him as Jack Reacher oh who, if dear. anyone out there has read a series of books by Lee Child mm. they feature uh, an ex um, an ex army investigator who very cool and old-fashioned now, but he wanders around America, sort of helping people. Mm-hmm. The main thing about him, he's well over six foot. There's lots of humorous, perfect moments, casting, then. humorous moments in the book that he's incredibly well-built, he's very big, very muscly, and they cast Tom Cruise. Maybe they're going to get him some really big Cuban heels or something. <laughs> Build up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the best casting. But we'll see. They may turn it around. You never it know. may work. Matt Damon was Jason Bourne. Mm? And I really enjoyed the Jason Bourne films, having read the books originally. He wasn't right in my mind mm. from what Robert Ludlum put as Bourne, but I thoroughly enjoyed them. And the Bourne legacy is worth a see as well. Yeah. I mean, those films, I think they really had an influence on the most recent version of Bond. Yeah, I mean, they became, they were very, a very European feel to them, mm. um, which was different from mainstream American films. But the grittiness and the stunt work, the way they did it, yeah. um, I do think Timothy Dalton helped 
Bond be what it is now, but he mm. was too early for it. They weren't yeah. ready for a gritty Bond back in the 1980s. I think by the end um, of Brosnan, it got too It became CGI too silly lane. with invisible cars yeah, and yeah. too much CGI. Mm. Yeah, I think the Bond films did help uh, a lot um, with that. Having said it, Quantum of Solace, my issue with that, it was directed in a very Bond style. Mm. Daniel Craig doesn't do... He, he does his own... What they call his own action. Mm. And he's wired up and it's safe. He doesn't do the stunts because no. the stunts are far too dangerous mm-hmm. and no actor will be allowed to do them. But he does a good amount of his action and the stunt works brilliant. But Quantum of Solace was edited in such a born style. Mm. You felt the actor was in no danger or the character was no danger because you couldn't see what was going on. Mm. We're hoping in the new film Sam Mendes is not directing it in that sort of style. That well, if the trailer's will. anything to go by, it looks pretty impressive. Yes, bits of humour coming back into mm. it, I think. Um, there's a lovely clip with Bond jumping from a very dangerous situation on the train, and as he lands on the train, he straightens his cuff. And I thought that was, <laughs> that was, that was lovely to see that. Yeah, that's great. Excellent. Well, thank you ever so much for coming in. Thank you for asking. And uh, maybe, if you would like to, we'll get you back. Maybe we'll talk about Bond next time. That would be a joy. <laughs> it could be a very long episode. <laughs> Could be the world's first seven-hour podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thanks ever so much, Bill. Thank you, Mark. And um, thank you for listening. And uh, if you want to get in touch, check out the the blog. Um, We're on Blogger. Just type in Nerdology and you should find us there. And um, hopefully we'll get another episode out fairly soon. So until next time, thanks for listening. Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to Nerdology. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, good start. Have okay, you done this before? No, 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 I'm completely newbie to it. <laughs> that might be an Easter egg on the end. <laughs>